Welcome, friends, families, and guests to our podcast, Go Entrepreneur Yourself. I'm your host, Jonathan Yamasaki. My co-hosts, they actually couldn't get up here because um, they had other, other things that they had to work on, but um, thank you all for listening in on today. Today's guest is actually my professor from college. <laughs> um, now, T. Paul Thomas uh, did not go to school originally to become a professor. He actually graduated with a bachelor's in business. And at the beginning of his career, he worked his way up to the corporate ladder with microwaves, then compact. I don't know if any millennials out there listening to this remember those old compact computers in like in the 90s or the early 2000s. So those computers. <laughs> and following throughout his career, he eventually landed a gig at Apple as a senior director for marketing during the dot-com bubble. Then he continued to accelerate his career by reaching a C-level executive role at more companies than I can count in my fingers and toes. Right now, he uh, has been a part of uh, NASA, which is Northern Arizona Center for Entrepreneurship and Technology. It's an accelerator program that helps businesses start up. He is an executive in residence and assistant professor at Northern Arizona University here, where he was my professor for uh, Management 301, I believe. He's the chairman of the board for Kamaza. He's worked as a columnist for Ask the CEO here and Flagstaff and many, many more companies. But overall, he's an incredible mentor, a confidant, a business partner, if you were to convince him for your product and service. I mean, he's helped so many companies start up and continue on being successful. T. Paul Thomas, thank you for coming on to my show. Well, thanks for having me, Jonathan. That's quite the introduction. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, you deserve a great introduction, man. You're, you, uh, I'm glad you gave me an A in your class. <laughs> um, so how we start these podcasts, just to kind of like, you know, get a little more comfortable, we start with Fast Five. So I'm just going to ask you these questions. You ask them as fast as you can. Um, and they're really fun questions just to get to know. So the audience could get to know a little bit more about our guests. So first question. What does the T and T Paul stand for? Timothy? Theodore? <laughs> the. The? No. <laughs> the. No. Paul Thomas. Uh, it, it, so it's actually Thomas. Um, my parents decided that they wanted all of the kids to have a T in their first name. And so it's Tammy, Ted, Terry, Tracy. <laughs> That's funny. And uh, when I was born, they couldn't think of any names. So they just named me Thomas. Uh -huh. But I go by T because Thomas Thomas, everybody thinks it's a mistake or it's, <laughs> there's an error. So <laughs> That's funny. That's the same with my sisters, actually. Adriana, Abella, Akira, and Erica. Oh. But that one is does it start, and starts with an A. It's not spelled with an yeah. A. So I, I feel you there. <laughs> Next question. Room, desk, or car, which one do you clean first? Room, desk, or car? Uh... Uh, desk. Okay. I, um, yeah, I have to, my desk has to be pretty organized for me to, uh, so yeah, desk. To start the day. Okay. And then, um, while I was here, I don't think I remember ever hearing you curse, maybe once. What is your favorite curse word? And why? So nobody has ever heard me curse. I think so. I haven't. I don't think I have. So no, I, I well, no, I take it back. My wife, my wife has heard, has heard me curse. So I like them all. I just don't use them. So. <laughs> right. So then um, next question, if you can live in one Disney movie for the rest of your life, which one would it be? Pinocchio. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's an early one. It's one that Walt Disney was involved with. It has some of my favorite characters, so I'll go with Pinocchio. Do you? How do you? How would you feel if they made a live action Pinocchio? Would you enjoy that, or would you be like, "No, keep the original"? Um, <laughs> I, you know, it's. I think it would be interesting, but it'd be pretty tough to recreate everything that was mm -hmm. in that in the cartoon. Yeah, that's true. Because now we have all these live action movies. Coming. Yeah. Well, they're, they're planning to do it. Yeah. Try to do all of them. And then, last question. What is the weirdest food you've ever eaten? Uh, believe it or not, whale sperm. What? Um, <laughs> whale sperm? Uh, I used to travel all over the world. And uh, when you go to Japan, your, your hosts will try to get you to 
try all kinds of crazy exotic stuff. Oh my gosh. So we were at a dinner and they had this, it was like almost like pudding. I didn't eat it. <laughs> okay. They, they, they tried to get me to eat it and I, they wouldn't tell me what it was. And I said, I'm not even going to try it. Then. So it happens. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Okay. Yeah. So we'll get um, started into talking about your business journey. So walk me through that um, from when you graduated here to now where you're at. Yeah, so I um, I started off as a forestry major at uh, NAU and spent the summer of my junior year as a park ranger and realized that uh, that wasn't the life that I wanted. I came from a, a really poor family and decided that I wanted to someday own an island or something somewhere, and that wasn't going to happen with a forestry degree. So I changed and went into finance. And when I graduated, I got a job with a bank, and they put me through a program where you learn to basically be a, a business loan officer. Mm-hmm. So I learned about finance. I learned about looking at businesses and what businesses, what made them successful, what made them fail. And so that allowed me then to get a series of jobs, mostly because I understood how to look at financials and one thing led to another. I eventually got into tech. And uh, as you mentioned, my first big tech company was uh, Compaq. One from Compaq then to Apple. Uh, after Apple, went into other tech companies and ended up getting to the point where I was hired in as CEO of more than a dozen tech companies. And in most cases, it was to try to turn them around. They were in some sort of trouble. And so most of my opportunities were to either come in, fix them, sell them, merge them, or shut them down. Mm. So I, I've, because not, not all of us know much about like this job of a CEO, I, I've actually, this is my first time hearing that some CEOs come in to shut it down. As far as like an interim, like CEO, that's the only most launch that I know about. So what, What's that process like to have to come in as the new CEO and kind of like let everyone go and and transition into closing the business? Uh, So what happened early in my career, I went into a startup that had venture capital uh, money had been invested in it and they hired me and we had a successful exit. And as a result of a successful exit, the venture capital firm will then tend to look at you and say, we like how you work. We saw what you did. And so then they'll try to plug you into their other companies where they have investments. So I've never been plugged into a company and told, we need you to shut this down. Mm. But I have been plugged into companies where they have said, we don't know if this is worth saving. Mm-hmm. And so if you can go in, do what you can. And if you can't save it or if it's not, if we can't sell it, then we need you to shut it down. Um, so I've had to do that twice, and uh, it's 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 a tough thing. You have to go in and you have to, first of all, do everything you can to try to salvage. Uh, and before you start letting everybody go and shut things down, you uh, do all you can to try to sell it or try to merge it with another company. Mm-hmm. And so fortunately, I've been able to sell more of them and merge more of them than I've had to shut down. But shutting down is probably one of the worst ones I had. Uh, a lot of the management team were people that I had brought in from other companies who had worked for me. So you get to the point where you have a management team that you have a CFO you always bring with you and you have a head of marketing. And I had to systematically let those people go. And literally the last day that we were in business, uh, I had let every single person go. And because we had a lease that we were going to break mm-hmm. in the middle of the night. I rented a U-Haul truck and had my wife and my kids help me carry out all the computers, all the equipment. <laughs> and we left in the middle of the night, Wow! locked the doors, put the keys, left the keys in the door and went to a storage locker and put everything in a storage locker. <laughs> so. Oh, wow. <laughs> what did the uh, lease owner say? <laughs> Uh, luckily, it was in Silicon Valley, and it was it was during the 
the end of the dot-com uh, boom. And so they were used to it. And there were a lot of people that lost money on yeah. that, including the investors. Wow. And then I know you mentioned it a little bit, talking about that experience you got working as a business loan officer and the training that they put you through. Would you say those are some of the skills that helped you really propel into moving up the ladder in your other careers? And if they are, then uh, what specific background skills helped you to run these types of businesses? Yeah, so the so it's a combination of things. I would argue during my college days, and and I try to get I try to tell students this now at NAU. There's a couple of things that are really important. You have to understand financials. So, if you come to NAU and you get a management degree, you learn some skills, but nobody's going to grab you at graduation and say, I have a division in South America, you're a management major, I want you to run this division mm-hmm. for me. <laughs> but if you study finance or you study accounting, you will get jobs right out of school or you'll be in finance or you'll be in accounting. So I always think it's important to get a true skill so that you can, uh, it's something that you can get a job. The other thing that I think is really important is you have to be active and involved. And so I used to tell freshman students either get involved in your church, get involved in the community, get involved on campus, get involved in a social fraternity or sorority, because they teach you life skills, mm-hmm. soft skills that, um, that you don't learn at the university. So uh, the combination of that helped me then get the job at the bank, and then they put me through a management training program where it was all about, this is how you read financials. So it's one thing to read them and have exercises in class that say, mm-hmm. what's their net worth or what is their capital, what's their uh, quick uh, ratio or current ratio. It's another thing to look at a real company and then be able to determine what is the health of this company and do you think this company is going to survive or does it justify a loan? So combination of what I learned at school during my undergrad and then the training I received uh, at the bank is critical for, especially for startups. Mm-hmm. Because the beauty of startups is you have an entrepreneur who won't take no for an answer. Mm-hmm. And they have an idea and they believe that it's the best idea in the world. And it may be, but if you don't have the financials <laughs> to back it up, it's not going to go anywhere. Yeah. So that's what helped me. Yeah, and I think I, you write, um, aside from when you did the column here in Flagstaff about an Ask CEO, you also have like a bunch of articles that you put on LinkedIn. And I read some of your articles and I think one of them talked about how a lot of there's some businesses that fail because they're not focusing on their finances and they don't know much. So that, that is important uh, because even for my, myself, graduating college with a business management degree, I was always wondering, why isn't there like management like jobs right, out, right off the bat? And uh, I was having a hard time coping with that when I graduated. So then that's when I got into the financial route. So yeah, you speak truths there. <laughs> Living it right now. <laughs> Um, this next question, I know you have like some crazy stories or really interesting stories about the businesses that you've helped. Which one would you say uh, was the most was the most successful out of all the businesses that you helped? Probably the most successful company that I had. Uh, it was my very first publicly traded company. I was brought in as a president. And six weeks after I was brought in as president, I was asked by the board to present my plan for what I thought should happen with the company. And um, I didn't know it at the time, but the CEO at the time who had hired me as the president was also asked to present his plan for the future. We each presented to the board. Um, We weren't in the room with each other. That night, I got a phone call from the board saying that the CEO was being terminated and that they were going to put me in as the CEO. Oh, wow. So that was a, was a weird time because he was a friend of mine and he had brought me into this company and given me my first stab at a, as a president's job. And so I got 
pushed into a CEO job of a public company. At the time I went in, the stock was trading at about $2.25 a share. The day before I announced my resignation, which was three years later, the stock was trading at $24 a share. So I look at that as it was a, it was a major turnaround. It was a publicly traded company. Lots of people made a lot of money on that, on that turnaround. And it set me up for then the rest of my career because I did well enough on that that I could uh, do whatever I wanted. But <clears throat> I also learned the importance of having a great team. I put together an awesome team. And we had, uh, there were great times and there were bad times, but it was probably the one that was most successful of all my companies. And then I, I think you wrote an article about creating your team. And I think it was upon like starting a, like a business. So what, what's your advice on when you're looking to find people to start your team? And one thing that I want to share with you that I've learned about that. Um, is you never want to have a personality that's like a fire. There's this kind of term that I don't know what the sort of um, I, it comes from like some sort of test where you like learn about different really uh, different personalities and like there's a fire, wind, water, and earth. And my personality is very fire. And you don't want someone else in your group that's a fire because sometimes you will clash and then you one will try to overflow the other. So what's your opinion on like how to find a solid team to start up your company. So again, um, and during my 30-year career in tech, I worked with lots of founders. And so founders, by their nature, again, don't take no for an answer. And they tend to believe that they know everything. Mm. And so the challenge that you always have is to convince them that they don't know everything and that they can't do it on their own. And so there's always this perception that, uh, let's say hypothetically, that you have a startup and you come to me and you say, listen, I need a CEO. And, and I try to explain to you that we can't do it. We, we need a team. We need a team that's very diverse and, and different. And I've had people say to me, oh, well, but Bill Gates did it or Larry and Sergey did it or that Michael Dell did it. What the world doesn't really realize is they surrounded themselves with advisors. And those people may not have been, nobody knows what they did, uh -huh. but these guys did not do this on their own. Uh -huh. and, and, and you're not going to. And so, and your point is a, is a good point on the, the four elements. The same thing, there's a Myers-Briggs study where it'll look at 16, it'll put you into one of 16 different personalities. Uh, the worst thing you can do is have a team that's all exactly the same. Uh -huh. <laughs> you, you, you have to have differences. Uh, at the same time, you have to appreciate those differences. And so I would make it a point to, we would do this Myers-Briggs study. So that way I could say, Jonathan is this. So Jonathan needs structure and he doesn't like to be interrupted. And so remember that the rest of the team. And then you have somebody else who, and you say, this person always has to have the door open, always has to talk, and always... So you appreciate different uh, strengths and weaknesses. So I, I, I've never, ever seen a successful organization that wasn't about a great team. And the other thing that I think is important for people to understand is you may be the right person today, but a year from now you may not be. And so that's the other thing is... Mm. The team that works great on day one of a startup is not the same team that you want in place when you start, you know, you get to 20 people, you're in revenue. and right. So that's the tough thing. And I'm curious why that is because right now, so I work for a nonprofit um, and we're in a point where we are accelerating our program and hiring more people. And some of the people that are leaving, it's it was good to leave them, to have them leave because we need some someone um, really strong to come in. Not that the person that left wasn't strong enough, but we need some some fresh pair of eyes to really help uplift the specific program. And with the more grant funding, we're getting really big grant funding coming out. We're 
looking at um, people that we haven't really considered. So what is, so going back to the question, why, why is that? Why do companies with the people they first worked with later on, it starts kind of, uh, it sounds so negative to say, but deteriorate, like there's something missing or there's something else that could have been added to it or could add to it. Yeah, it's um, it's just it's it's management one hundred and one. Uh-huh. If if I have a small business and I have one employee, I have to do everything, and I learn to do everything. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, I'm not really great at, at any one thing, but mm-hmm. I'm a great generalist. Once I get to an organization that has twenty, I don't need twenty generalists. I need twenty specialists. Mm-hmm. So. Think about it from a standpoint of if you're if you if you build homes and you know just enough to kind of do everything you're not great at any one but you can build a home and you can build maybe one home a year if somebody all of a sudden comes to you and says listen we want you to do this entire development and we need you to build 50 homes you're going to say mm, uh, well you know I know plumbing, I know electrical, I know sheetrock, I know paint, I know framing, but what I really enjoy is framing. Mm-hmm. So I, if, if I can just do the framing, then I'll stay on board. And I'm gonna go off and hire somebody else who does some of these other things. Or you're just gonna say, listen, I can manage the whole process, but I'm not gonna keep doing all this stuff myself. Mm-hmm. So, uh, especially true of entrepreneurs, they're really great at getting the thing started and they're really great at keep getting no and saying, no, I'm, I'm going to kick it off. Mm-hmm. They tend to be terrible managers. Mm-hmm. So uh, when I was at Apple, uh, I had the opportunity to work with Steve Jobs and he was a terrible people manager, mm-hmm. but he's phenomenal at ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been at a number of, of startups where the founders brought me in as the CEO and you just had to kind of put them off to the side, let them work on projects. They did not work well with people. Sometimes they didn't work well with, with investors. Um, so it's, it's just, there's a different skill needed on day one. And uh, it's pretty rare that someone has the ability to, like I am not a startup person, mm-hmm. but I'm great at once it gets to late in the startup and I also have zero interest in being a maintainer once it's once it's just uh, everything's fixed and all the problems are addressed I'm not good at that either mm-hmm. with with that being said you're mentioning that there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there who aren't always the best people managers and they don't work well with uh, investors down the, down the line uh, once they've propel their program, what can, what can entrepreneurs do now so that they can become, you know, better managers, more personable when they're working with their team? So the short and honest answer is they can't. I I truly believe that either you enjoy working with people, you enjoy helping people do better than you or developing people or you don't. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll give you two different scenarios of two different founders um, that hired me as their CEO. So the first one, um, they posted the job. They were looking for a CEO. It was a pre-IPO company. This was a IPO that everyone was uh, was waiting on. Because I had to had the, the successful uh, run of a CEO of a public company, they hired me. And... Right before I started, the founder said that he wanted to keep the CEO title and he wanted me to be the president and COO. The board was a little concerned about it and said, but you're not the CEO. This, this is why we're, we're outside hiring somebody. Mm-hmm. I told the board, I said, it doesn't matter to me. I don't, I, I don't care about the uh, title. What I ended up finding is that the ego of the founder was so great that he did not like the idea of somebody else being at the CEO desk or standing up and, uh, and representing the company. And it was his identity 
And he basically said, as soon as we go public, then I'll let somebody else have the CEO. But it's my company. I did it. I want to. The company failed miserably. And this person was essentially offered billions to just walk away and let us run the company. And because he was a major, he was still, he was a majority shareholder. He chose to essentially crater the company because it was that he, either he was going to be the person or no one was. (laughs) On the flip side, one of my most successful startups, the founder came to me. So at this point, I, I would always ask founders, what is it you want to have happen? And if they would say to me, I want to get rich, I want to buy an island, I want to have multiple spouses, I wasn't interested in, in helping them. That, that's, a, that's a selfish thing. Mm-hmm. This founder said to me, I want my product to be at every single school at every, uh, around the world. That was his only, there was no money, there was no, I want this for myself. It was, I want this product to be in every classroom around the world. Mm-hmm. And so you look at that and say, that's the kind of person you want to work for. Mm-hmm. So... If you don't mind me asking, what was the company or what was the product? It was Intrinsic Graphics. Intrinsic Graphics started off as a company that had a development platform for video game developers. Mm-hmm. So if you develop Madden Football... You need a team that does it for Xbox. You need a team that does it for PlayStation. You mm-hmm. need a team, separate teams, and they're multi-million dollar projects. Mm-hmm. We developed a platform that allowed you to develop the game once on our platform, and then it would port to whatever hardware. So it saved millions and millions of dollars. When we were out raising money, we created what we called Earth Viewer, and Earth Viewer is what is today Google Earth. Right, yeah. And so as we would uh, go out and raise money, we would say to the investor, give us an address, and we'd punch it in, and then we'd zoom down to their house or their office, whatever it was. (laughs) And so that was a situation where the founder wanted everybody to have what he kind of envisioned as a this virtual, detailed globe. Because he mm-hmm. talked about as a child how he always would spin a globe around and point to different places <laughs> right. and, and wonder what was what was that country like and was there someone else like him at that place, and so that's what he wanted for mm-hmm. for Earth Viewer. Uh, so it doesn't address your question about about management, but <laughs> other than just to say that I think there is a there is a entrepreneur uh, kind of skill and it doesn't necessarily equate to great management. So what you have to do, you have to find people. And that's what Michael did with uh, EarthViewer. He said, I don't have the ability to do it. Mm-hmm. I can program great product, but I can't do the things that I need you to do for me. And so you have to be willing to look at yourself and say, I'm great at this, but I need to find other people to help me with mm-hmm. these other things. Good. Thank, thank you for answering that. That's a great story. I feel like you've already answered this question, but I'm going to ask just in case you might have some other example. Just give me a challenging story to a business that was not successful. And then what was it? Because you've gave us less examples of how the entrepreneurs themselves could run down the business or how um, other sort of things in management could really destroy the company. So what's another one that was not successful? And then what was it that made it unsuccessful? So sometimes it's it's nothing that you sometimes it has nothing to do with the company. So I'll give you another example of a company. We were growing in revenue. We were doing well. We were building up customers. Had a great team in place, and we were out raising money. We were trying to raise twenty five million dollars. We had already raised about 25 and we were doing a second round of, of fundraising because of the successes that we had had and because of all the things that were going on um, all the investors were lining up 
And so what happens when you go out and try to raise money, especially in later, you'll go to your current investors. They'll say, yes, we'll put money in, but we need you to get some new investors. And so you go off and you talk to new investors. And uh, one of the questions that always gets asked is, who else is going to put money in this? So if you were the head of a venture firm and I went to you and I said, Jonathan, I've got this great company. Here's what we're doing. Here's our plan. One of the first questions you ask is, who else is in? Mm. Nobody ever wants to be the first. Nobody else wants <laughs> to be on their own. So if I can say to you, I have these other investors who are all. And so uh, in this case, I had um, Motorola uh, had committed to invest. I had uh, three different venture capital firms. So we're getting pretty close to getting a term sheet. Then we somebody would write the term sheet and they would give it to everybody. And we were, I flew to London to uh, really wrap up the funding and talk to the very last investor. On my flight to London, 9-11 happened, the attack at the Royal Trade Center. And um, uh, because of all the uncertainty of that, one by one, every investor backed out. Oh, wow. So we essentially ran out of money. Uh-huh. So it had nothing to do with the company. It had to do with what was happening in the, in the world at the time. Right. I've had other situations where you've had companies that just, the problem they solved wasn't a big enough problem. And again, part of this was timing. In 1998, 1999, you could raise money for anything. Everybody mm-hmm. was excited about what was happening. In 2000, you had to have a pretty good story. And I would argue every single one of my companies, luck played a huge part in it. Mm. What was happening in the world played a huge part in it. And do you think people, companies, they can't prepare for something like that? Because that's such a, you know, an external factor that, could, that affects a company that you really can't prepare for or you don't expect. But is there something maybe that they can at least prepare for? Yeah, So I think what happened is, especially with the venture capital community, Uh they lived through it. And so now today, they're more to the point of, listen, don't spend money like it's it's water. Don't don't make an assumption you'll always get it. Because just because you've got funding now, you never know when something bad is going to happen. And uh, so in uh, 99... The company that I was running, we spent money like crazy. We had raised a lot of money, mm-hmm. and we were hiring people uh, left and right. And the idea was just get big fast. And we didn't worry about expenses because everybody was just investing in anything. Today, I think they tried to caution people to be far more paranoid, be far better about watching your expense. I mean, we haven't seen it. I mean, you look at some of the recent IPOs, and they seem like they're starting to go back to some of the mistakes they made before. You look at WeWorks. It's a huge... Uh, the liabilities they had were just... And the IPO didn't go through. And right. so if it wasn't for SoftBank, they would have been out of money and shut down this week. And then what is a common myth about entrepreneurship? Maybe like one or two that you can debunk for us. One, one thing I actually remember when I was taking your class was you can't teach entrepreneurship. I don't know why they have me teaching this class about entrepreneurship. And that always made me laugh because you just seemed really pissed about it. <laughs> um, but what is like one or two examples that you have about entrepreneurship that is a myth that you can debunk for us? Yeah. So I, I do think that, um, you know, and, and your, some of your listeners may get mad about this, but you, you, the, I think there, there came this time when everyone was like, oh, I want to run my own company and, and I want to, you know, I want to do something on my own. I want to get rich. And I just don't think you can do it if it's not. I, I believe it's genetic and I, and I truly do not believe that I can teach entrepreneurship to anybody. Mm-hmm. I think I can... As I said in that class, I can tell you 
the things that make a startup more successful, but a true entrepreneur is willing to give up everything. And, and I always think about Elon Musk, who made all this money when uh, when PayPal got bought. Right. And I think most anyone else would have taken the money and said, I'm good to go. And they would have gotten off the grid and you never would have heard from him again. Yet he comes out with his startups and nobody wants to give him money. And so what does he do? He takes every dollar he has and throws it back into another. <laughs> and, and so when he gets asked the question about, you know, why did you take the risk or how did you know it was going to And he was like, well, there was no risk. I knew it was going to happen. And so it's good and it's bad. So if you're an employee and you have this person every day saying this thing is going to be great, that's a, it keeps you motivated. But I've also seen people just not listen. And you say to them, listen, this problem that you're solving is not a big enough problem or mm. uh, this is not going to work. And they get mad. And, you know, for every one of those, there's, you know, the, the Colonel Sanders who supposedly went to hundreds and hundreds of restaurants with his recipe uh-huh. before he finally said, screw you, I'll just do it myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I don't think you can, I don't think you can uh, teach it. Right. Um, and I think the other thing is we hear about entrepreneurs that get really successful. I, I think for every one of those successes, there's at least nine failures. Uh-huh. Yeah. And... But they don't worry about the failures. They just keep going to the next one. And that, I love how you bring up that it's not a big enough problem to solve when these companies start up. Because I remember you were on the panel here in Flagstaff where we had the startup weekend. And I remember you were giving coaching to some of these people that are starting up a business, an idea. And I remember you said to a lot of them it's just not a big enough problem so in reality we're not sure if a lot of investors would like bid into this and it doesn't solve an issue that everyone is going through and i think that's part of the reason why our team won this was like back in like 2015 i don't know if you remember but it was our team that was starting up a it was kind of like an e-harmony but for Um, for like roommates um and it was it was an issue because people had terrible roommates their freshman year of college and a lot of universities at the time. I don't know what it looks like now, but they didn't have a really good software system to, or just an application system to build really good roommate compatibility. And if we could, if we were able to find a way to create a great first year experience for these students, that's money right there. Not just for the universities, but for the students too, because then they'll want to stay, they'll stay motivated and it could solve the issue of not just diverse communities coming into the college, but just everyone in general. So that's where I feel like you, that's something that's a bigger problem that was a great idea, but something as small as like, um, I remember there's this company that, or not company, but this person threw a pitch about, it was like a mat you could step on, and then only when you step on it, water comes out, right, yeah. which is, sounds like it's a great idea. Like. I would have invested in something like that, but I don't know if at that time it's something that a lot of investors would put their money in because right. it's not a major, I mean, we're scarce in water. I'm not, not we could get to that point, yeah, yeah. but we're not at that point, so yeah. they're not thinking about that. Yeah. So I think, I think you bring up a great point. Yeah, I think the, um, sometimes people will have an idea about a startup and they just love the idea and they fall in love with the idea instead of falling in love with the solution. And, uh, and, yeah. and so that's why I try to always, especially with the startups here in town that I work with, is tell me what the problem is, and then how big is the problem, and then why is your solution better, and then why are you the right person to then take this thing to market. Yeah. You need to be able to answer those questions. And if you can't convince either a customer or an investor that you have the answer to those four questions, then you're in a really tough way. But it's uh, those, are the, those are the really important. And if you can address those and it's a compelling, you'll always, I believe you'll always have success and you'll be able to, to get 
employees, investors, and customers. Yeah. And one thing I want to come back to, because I think you have really good experience from when you worked with Apple. I want to take us back um, to when you were working with them, because obviously that was a time when technology was really booming. Dot-com bubble was going on. And how has that technology with computers and internet impacted how a lot of companies do business today? Yeah, so it's a really good question. Um, I was asked to speak on a IT panel this summer, and the question that they asked me was, or what role does technology play in a startup today? My response to them was, it, it, it doesn't play a role anymore. So it used to be, if I was going to do a startup, the first thing I had to do is I had to go out and I had to buy a bunch of servers and I had to get a bunch of computers and I had to spend a lot of money on putting together technology. Today, you can just start up by buying some time on the cloud and <laughs> it's not about the technology anymore. It's it's sort of like saying, you know, what role does transportation play in your startup? You know, it's like, well, there's transportation all around us. I can either drive, I can take a bus. And yeah. uh, so technology is all around us. It's no longer the barrier for startups. That's why, uh, you know, even this, you know, you it used to be you would have had to do spend all kinds of money on on recording equipment and mm-hmm. and then how would you get it out and you know would you would you have to get an agreement with somebody in in radio or TV or something now it, it's a it's, a it's a really small investment so technology is all around us and it's made it really really easy for startups to to get uh, to get started. Something as easy as this, just post it on yeah. a website or a podcast, and that's it. <laughs> it's yeah. up and running. And now I want to go into the topic of entrepreneurship again, so that I can help some of my listeners when they're you know kind of in the early stages of starting up their business. How do you tune out the noise when? of rejection, maybe of like not having much confidence um, when they're starting your business or any setbacks or negative something. And how did you as a CEO, because I'm sure, I mean, every time I see you, you walk with grace, you always look confident. I'm sure there's a time when you sometimes question yourself. What recommendations would you give to entrepreneurs? So um, something that only, I would argue the, the thing entrepreneurs and CEOs have in common is that it's a lonely job. And so uh, unless you were a CEO or unless you were an entrepreneur, you don't understand how lonely it is. So the, my advice I always give to startups is the very first thing you should do is put together an advisory board. So I don't care who it is. But you need a group of three or four people that you can at least talk to. And they have to be three or four people that aren't in it for the money. They're in it because they want to help you succeed. And you have to be willing to listen to them so that when you talk about, I have this idea, I have this thing I want to do, your advisory board can say you're on to something. But it's somebody at least you can, you can talk to. I don't know that you, what you do um, to keep going when you get constant rejection. Um, I think about how, and this was back when I was at Compaq, I was in distribution marketing. I was responsible for the distribution of the product. And it was at a time when we were starting to go away from just dealers. It used to be there was a time when if you wanted to buy a computer, you had to buy from a computer dealer. You couldn't go to Walmart. You couldn't buy them online. You couldn't get it through mail order. Um, and we were about to start expanding into online sales and mail order. Mm-hmm. And I traveled the country doing a presentation about why this was good news for our compact dealers. When really, in fact, it wasn't good news, mm-hmm. but... I started in the West Coast, and every place I was doing the presentation, it was greeted with 
applause and everyone thought it was a great idea. And I got to Philadelphia and I'm in a big ballroom and I'm doing my presentation and I'm only a couple slides into the presentation. And in the very back of the room, I see a hand go up. Person stands up and I said, yes, do you have a question? And he just yells out, BS. <laughs> Except he didn't say BS. Yeah. And there's a short little pause. Then pretty soon I just hear just a round of applause for this person. And... Uh, so there's, I don't know, two or 300 people in this room. <laughs> and I say to him, what are you referring to? And he said, you and this program. He said, it's BS. And so, um, you know, it's like stuff like that happens. And so you think everything's great and you've got the thing down and then something like that happens and it's a, it's a lesson. And... The same thing happens as a as an entrepreneur. You think that you've got all the answers, and you have a failure. Mm -hmm. and you learn from it. Um, I hate to use sport, you know, cliches, but <laughs> if, so, if somebody if somebody has a hit three times out of ten, they're considered a, a great hitter. Mm -hmm. um, so that means that seven times out of ten, you're you're not hitting. And so I, I think you just have to learn from them. I've I've had some bad stuff happen and. You just, you try to learn from it. And, and going back to like entrepreneurship, when you were speaking on like his genetic, um, what, <laughs> what do you recommend families do to create an entrepreneur? No, I'm just kidding. I don't know what, what that's going to be like, but um, what sort of, do you believe, the real question I want to ask is, do you believe there's some sort of like pattern or formula in becoming a successful entrepreneur? You know, the reason, I, uh, so I don't want to get too deep into it, but, but it's also, it's a culture. Mm -hmm. So United States is one of the countries with a leading amount of, of, uh, of entrepreneurship because it's the culture that we have. So mm -hmm. we tend to be a culture where we gamble, we take risk. We look for instant gratification. Mm -hmm. Those are all traits of entrepreneurs. On the flip side, you look at a place like uh, Mexico. Mexico is not a place about, um, it, not a lot of entrepreneurship. It's just not in the culture. The culture is one of why are you changing things? It's about tradition. Germany is not a place and it's about it's about following steps and following rules, and so I think it's a combination of what is the culture of the of the country, and then so it's not I mean it's not just genetic, but it's also how are you raised? Are you willing to to lose everything for mm -hmm. the sake of something that you strongly believe in, or are you a person who just says you know what I just want things to. Uh, there was a startup that I worked with uh, in Africa, and I had the founder come and talk to a uh, class here. And he talked about the, the 10 years that he's had this thing. And he did it gra with a graph and said, so here's life is good, everything is just normal. And here's things are great, you know, here's some, here's some high point, and then here's something that's a low point. And for 10 years, all the, it's just this constant up and down, up and down. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that a lot of people like life like that. Mm -hmm. um, most people tend to say, let's, I, you know, I'd like to just to be, you know, kind of even keel. So uh, I think that, uh, even if you grow up around it, I don't know that it that it's something that you can do. You know? The other thing, and then there's also this ability to see things that other people don't. And so I've had people come to me with ideas, and I would look at it and I go, man, I don't think that would work. And then it ends up being a huge success. <laughs> and so I don't have that vision that entrepreneurs have, have the ability to see something and see solutions that other people don't see. 
And then what is the most common reason for people, entrepreneurs failing and giving up? Why do they spend all this money knowing that there might be a chance to fail? Um, uh, so a simple one is they run out of money. Mm-hmm. But to me, that then just goes back to uh, the four things that I mentioned before. They're not able to articulate a problem. Uh, they're not able to articulate the size of the problem and then why their solution or service is better than everything else and that they're the right person. You, you know, so if hypothetically you came to me and said, listen, I believe that I have uh, the solution to cancer and I'm going to solve it. And so I would say, well, that's awesome. But where did you get your oncology training? And you'd say, well, I've never been trained in it, but I knew somebody who had cancer. And so you're going to take me, it's going to take me a long time to just say, okay, yeah, I'll give you some money. In that. <laughs> um, and so I, it's, it's not usually that, that dramatic, but uh, so running out of money, not having a, a true problem. And then I think the other thing is they just don't listen. And so, you know, again, if you came to me and said, listen, I, I want to do this as my startup. And I would say to you, Jonathan, you're, you're not the right person. And, no one's going to listen to you. And yet you just keep going. Uh, eventually, I just think you lose the energy. And, mm-hmm. But I still go back to if you truly solve a problem that is a big enough problem and it's different enough, either it's faster, cheaper, better than the alternatives, that's the key. Right. Thank you for that. Do you have any mentors and coaches that helped you get to where you're at today? And then would you say that mentorship is helpful for these entrepreneurs? Yeah, I, uh, so I would not have been uh, anywhere in, in my career or in life without mentors. And so I had them in college. Uh, I had them uh, all through my career. And much like the comment earlier where you may be the right person today, a year from now, or two years from now, you may not be the right person. And so I think it's a mistake some people make is mentors are good for a period of time. Mm-hmm. And then you have to find a, a new mentor. And I didn't realize that until uh, somebody once told me that one day you'll wake up and you'll think, that mentor isn't as smart as I thought they were, or they don't know as much as I thought they did. Mm-hmm. They are not different. You are. And that just tells you it's time to, to go to a different mentor. And, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, anybody who tries to do, to try to go alone, I think is a huge, huge mistake. And unless you're just a dick, uh, most, <laughs> most people are happy to mentor you. And then um, for some young audiences that I have, so it's millennials, Gen Z, who are looking to start. Um, who who should they reach out to? Because I know sometimes it's awkward or it might feel weird to ask, can you be my mentor? It almost happens. For me, it's happened organically. Um, what, what sort of advice do you have for them um, for any sort of like roadblocks when they're looking for... Um, a type of mentor or <clears throat> looking to get help when they get started? Yeah. Um, I think the first thing is understand that it is for a period of time. And I think sometimes the mistake people make is um, they think, oh, this person is the CEO of this big company. I'm going to try to get them. Or this is my dad's friend knows this and I'm going to try to get this person. The key is find three or four people that are truly interested in you succeeding and they have no, like if the first question they ask is how much are you going to pay me or how much time is this going to take, that's not the right person. And so um, I think it's important to say as you go out is find three or four people and say to them, I'm only going to ask you for a year to be my mentor. And, and then be specific as to why. Don't just say, oh, because I think you drive a nice car or because I think you look mm-hmm. nice. 
it's going to say, I'm looking to start something and I know you've done this, this, and this, and I think it would be awesome if you would be willing to help me. And then you say, it's just for a year, because then at the end of the year, if they're no longer helping you, you can say, remember I said a year, that's awesome, I appreciate you doing. But if they're still helping you, you can say, would you mind doing it for another year? Mm. I think people are reluctant. Again, it's because nobody likes to hear no. But mm-hmm. if you're re- truly an entrepreneur, that's the, that's it. Uh, Got to get used to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got to build a work in sales, I mean, <laughs> to build that. Yeah, I, I see, especially like in medical devices, somebody will say, I have this group, I have this board of advisors, and I have this doctor who's the head of research at John Hopkins on my advisory board. And I always look at that and I go, yeah, they're not really, you just got some name and you, and you put them on your board. I'd much rather have somebody say, yeah, this dude works at the local hospital and, and happens to do heart surgery or something. I'd much rather have, it's not the name, it's are they really going to help you? Mm-hmm. And then one last one about you before we get to like the last questions about um, some of our listeners, which, which is pretty much the whole podcast, but I want to know one more thing about you. Um, as you being a CEO, I really like that you helped companies that really had a, a meaningful purpose in their in starting up their businesses and it wasn't just driven by money or by infatuation of other cars, women, things like that. What has been the most satisfying uh, moment when you worked with all these businesses that you helped start up? You worked with like that company called Maza mm-hmm. um, in Africa. If there's any specific companies, what was the most satisfying to you? Yeah, you know, I wish I could say it was working for nonprofits. Uh, and the company you're, you're talking about is uh, Kamaza, and Kamaza is in Kenya. And uh, the people in sub Saharan Africa uh, in Kenya are the poorest of the poor. The way they live is just, it just tears at your heart when you're there. And so the founder of Kamaza came up with this idea that we could help take families from poorest of the poor to middle class. And it happens relatively quick. It happens with very little, uh, with no investment from them. And to date, we have helped nearly 20,000 families and we've planted more than 3 million trees. So... So I look at that in the company. So I look at what the company has done and it's mm-hmm. helped lots of people. I did it, but I didn't do that. I was, uh, Tevis Howard is the founder. It was mm-hmm. his idea. He pulled the team together. He needed me to help raise money and he needed me to help make the organization more professional. Mm-hmm. So personally, I, I, I don't feel responsible. I helped Tevis a lot and Tevis will. It's probably one of my early companies. It's this idea where you, where you have a team that takes a chance on you, mm-hmm. and they do well financially, and then you see the impact it has on them in their lives. Where they then you see them years later, and they talk about how they were able to put their kids through college because of mm-hmm. of having worked for you. Or um, it's this idea. My CFO. Uh, followed me to five different places. And so you look at that and you go, um, I must have done something right and that she is going to follow me yeah. to place to place and that she's going to bet her family and, and her career. And and again, that's probably not the answer you want. I've had to fire people and then have had them come back to me and say, if you ever go to another place, I'd like to work for you. And so if you fire somebody and they are interested in still working for you, <laughs> then it says that you've done something right. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Now, we're getting to the end of this podcast. Is there any books, websites, maybe programs that you recommend 
young entrepreneurs, students in college, to help them get into building their product or service. Because I know there's a lot of young people out there that have ideas. <sighs> so I'm probably not the right person for that. Um, <laughs> I, you know, early, early in my career, I used to read books about really more on biographies on successful business people to see what were their habits. Um, and then later in life, as I would work with a venture capital firm or an investor, they would say, you need to, you need to read this book because it's going to help you on this. And so, there, for instance, there's, I think one of the last books I read is Getting to Plan B. And uh, I was with a company. Uh, there's, a, there's a common term that you need to pivot. So you're focused on one thing, but you need to pivot. So change to something completely different. And so getting to plan B is all about really big companies that were going one direction and they completely changed. So Google is not doing what it originally set out to do. eBay is not doing what it originally set out to do. Mm -hmm. And it talked about having the ability to look and, again, you're very passionate as an entre entrepreneur about, no, this is what I want to do, mm -hmm. but you've got to figure out what is that pivot that, mm -hmm. that you need to do. Um, but I would tell you that if you have this group of advisors, every advisor is going to have some book that's going to help you at the phase that you're at. Yeah. But the last thing I would do is I don't, don't buy, you know, entrepreneurship 101. You know, I don't don't buy that. Um, I think dummies for entrepreneurs for dummies. <laughs> yeah. To to me, the best books were always biographies because you would read about somebody and the problem they had, the situation, and how they dealt with it. And so you're like, oh, I get that. It makes sense. Mm. And then sometime during as you're starting off, you'll read about the challenges that, that successful people have. So most all entrepreneurs have somebody that they think, oh, I think they're a great business person. Yeah. So get a book that they've talked about. Um, but yeah, it's not a, it's not a recipe. It's not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, the same with like, Amazon was a perfect example too because they started off as like a bookstore. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. now they're selling everything yeah. <laughs> yeah. online and now they're, they own like a, I don't know what they call it, but like they own parts of internet, don't they? Or like uh, they have the whole this whole cloud thing. Yeah, they, I think it was and, a cloud. And, and so their uh, their cloud business is one of the biggest businesses that they're getting into, where every business will be tied to the Amazon cloud. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's crazy to say that you own like cloud. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's insane yeah. still to me. Huh? Yeah. But I mean, it brings a lot of jobs. Yeah. Um, so is there anything that I left out that I should have asked you in this question that maybe you want to say any last minute hurrahs, quotes, um, things for our listeners? No, I, you know, uh, I guess the first thing is I'm not sure I gave you an A. Did you get an A in my class? I did get an A in your okay. class. Right. I did. I okay. made sure. <laughs> no, no, I'm teasing. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I, you know, I think the, uh, I think entrepreneurship is awesome. I think sometimes people think, oh, the days of entrepreneurship and startups are, it's not like it used to be. When I would argue there's just as many opportunities today as there were in 98 and 99 during the, uh, the boom. But the thing you have to do is you have to make sure that you are, uh, doing as many things as you can to help you to make sure you succeed. I got a call, it was about a month ago, from a guy who's trying to do a startup in San Francisco, and he saw me on LinkedIn, and he reached out, and he said, would you be willing to be on my board? Mm -hmm. and, I, and I thought, this guy's amazing that he's taken the time. He hasn't even started it yet. His first thing is, I'm going to put together a board so that I start doing these things in the right way. Mm. So just make sure that you take the time to kind of plan out. 
I'm not a big business plan person, so I would never say to somebody, oh, read this book on Entrepreneurship 101 and then read this book on you know, how to write a, a business plan and then take three months to write a business plan. I mean, sometimes you can just jump into it. Make sure at least you've got an advisory board. Mm-hmm. And I think have people working with you that are smarter than you that help offset your weaknesses. And then, again, go back to that. What's, this, what's the problem? Um, and, you know, why am I the person to address this problem? And it, is it big right. enough and is it better? So that would be my, my final days. My final thoughts. Yeah, that's powerful. That's great. I think that's that's. I think that's. It's weird because it's something that we didn't know we needed to hear. What you just mentioned, because I, I I would have known those sort of things. So I think it is really helpful because a lot of us are go getters. Like first generation college students, mm-hmm. we're go getters. We do things alone. We don't ask for help when it's actually could be our weakness. We need to like right. find our team or people to really help offset our weaknesses. Yeah. Well. Thank you all listeners for listening to this podcast. Um, thank you again, T. Paul Thomas, for meeting with me again. It was, it was a pleasure seeing you. I know this interview was a little bit long, but I think it's really great information that people will really appreciate hearing from you. And thank you again. <laughs> thank you, Jonathan.